0: Hey, hello there, and welcome to the Tuneful, Beatful, Artful Music Teacher, a podcast for music educators around the world who are interested in the philosophy, programs, and resources of Dr. John Fireabend, and for anyone who just wants to chat about great music teaching in general. The podcast is generously presented to you by the Fireabend Association for Music Education and hosted by me, Missy Strong. It is great to be with you. So, let's get started. So here we are at the Let's Be Real part of the podcast, where we talk about the real-deal life of the music teacher. And today, I thought I'd talk about something that happened recently with my son, who is in high school and plays viola and marimba and piano. Uh, recently, I was sitting in the string warm-up room with him there as a mom. I wasn't working. Uh, he was preparing to audition for a regional orchestra. You know, I don't know about you... I'm sure that most of the time you love to be around other musicians. And the thoughts that I had while I was sitting there, I realized were similar to thoughts I have had uh, as I've taken my own students or chaperoned similar types of events with young students and music. As I watched these kids practicing and chatting, running around, joking around, nervous, focused, upset if they came out and felt like they didn't do well, it just hit me that for so many of them, this is where a lifetime of music nerdiness begins. <laughs> they were so excited to see other musicians from their own schools or from other ensembles in which they had performed. Some of them had been together at All State, some had been at All Eastern for here on the East Coast. And I just think there's something to be said about the power of camaraderie amongst musicians. There's plenty of competition, but it was great to see how much they loved being together. Also, for me, as a teacher of younger students, it was cool to see kind of the fruits of the labor of their current teachers, but also harken back to the dedication of whoever were their earliest music teachers. And though I know that sometimes parents can kind of be a pain, and I'm a parent, so I can say that, it was amazing to see the dedication of those parents who woke up early, because it was early. Some of them drove well over an hour to get there. And they worked hard to get their kid there and they sat around for a couple hours waiting for that process to be done. One mom I remember, um, who's definitely a better person than I am, was literally holding up her daughter's violin music quite high, I want to add, up in the air for over 20 minutes because there were no stands for her to use. And I kept thinking, it takes a village. I was also recently presenting at a pretty big state conference and I saw the same type of thing. There were all these kids running around singing show tunes and pieces from all state. And I just loved watching that excitement and that geekiness and how they knew they were amongst their tribe. And I just realized there are a few things quite like that. And it made me proud and thankful to have some small part in it, both as a music educator and as a parent. Anyway... On our show. Today, we are once again speaking with the man behind the Feyerabend Association for Music Education, Dr. John Feyerabend. In the first episode we presented, we had the beginning of a series called What is First Steps? This week, we're going to begin another series entitled What is Conversational Solfege? For those of you brand new to Dr. Farabin's works, this is his program for notational literacy that you would do after students have become tuneful, beatful, and artful, most likely through a first steps in music approach. Let's get to it hello everybody welcome to the podcast we are here once again with dr fireobin welcome dr fire robin thank you i'm so glad that you could join us again thank you for giving us a reason to have a podcast in the first podcast we talked about what is uh, going to be an ongoing series what is first steps we talked with a little bit of an overview a little bit of the background and we're also going to have a little series called what is conversational solfege I was thinking about something that happens to me a lot, and I'm curious to see if it happens to you. I come across teachers all the time who are like, I bought this Purple Binder book. Um, I don't really know who this guy is, but it's called Conversational Solfege, and it just sounds really great, but I'm not sure how to use it. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Is it a whole curriculum? Is it just, you know, part of it? And I think that it's the word solfege that really gets them because they're like, It's great if I can teach my kids solfege. Do you kind of come across people like that? Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, I mean, maybe it's more embarrassing to say to you, oh, I don't know who you are. No, I think a
1: lot of teachers expect that they open up a textbook. And and they have a lesson and they teach that lesson and then they go to the next lesson and they teach that lesson and that's not how I structured things. That's not this one. So,
0: okay. So if you met someone like that or when you meet someone, and I do all the time, I'm wondering if as you did with first steps. What would you say to somebody who said, what is this book?
1: What is conversational solfege? Well, it's a lot of things. (laughs) Um, But if you want to try to, if I wanted to try to come up with just a sentence or two, I guess I would say it is a curriculum to teach music literacy that uses a sound before sight approach.
0: Okay. When you were coming up with conversational solfege, when you were going through this process and you kind of realized, okay, I have this program, uh, I'm assuming you think, as we do, this is a natural outgrowth of First Steps in Music, a kind of a natural next step. Is that a fair statement, not fair statement? Uh, it is now. <laughs> but Oh, I guess you weren't thinking that then. I,
1: when I was working on First Steps in Music and Conversational Solfege, um, they were really two independent methodologies. Sure. And i it's so funny, I can remember, uh, I had a sabbatical for a year, which all I did was write. And during that year, I would work on the infant-toddler books or the call-and-response books, and I'd get right. tired of the kindergarten repertoire. And I'd go, <laughs> I just need to do some more sophisticated right. music. And I'd go over and work on conversational solfege for a while. And i go, no, this classical piece, I need to listen to 100 pieces of classical music and right. figure out which one would be best for this rhythm or this <laughs> right, melody. Right, right, and I would do that for a few weeks, and then I'd go, okay, I'm ready to go back to the baby repertoire. So I would just bounce back and right. forth. And in my mind, it's like... I'm just walking on two little different journeys. Right. But as I worked on them, it became more and more apparent that one was very clearly preparing you for the other. Um, And then it sort of, I started making the effort to make sure that there was some kind of coherent connection between the two. Like the simple songs and First Steps in Music are the repertoire that you will use to teach do-re-mi and right, conversational right, solfege. Right. So I, and I started making connections. The movits have movement things with classical pieces that are later encountered in conversational right, solfege for right. rhythmic or melodic reading. So I started making conscious connections between the two methodologies. But in the beginning, they were just, if a teacher was interested in notation, conversational, so right, if right. you're interested in basic developments in kindergartens, use this one. Right, right. And then gradually I made them uh, depend on each other.
0: Okay. And if um, if you don't mind telling us how you came to name the program, I think that gives some insight into what it is.
1: Well, uh, it's back to my Kodai background. Um, so I finished my bachelor's in 74 and had my first teaching job, but in 72, while working at Interlochen in the summers, there was a Hungarian woman there, Katinka Danielle, and just by chance, I ran into a presentation she was making, and I was blown away. As a little undergraduate, we had heard nothing like that. In 1972, there was nothing in print yet in the United States. Lois Choksi's book was the first book, and that came out in 1975. Mm. So this was prior to anything being written in Kodai, and the whole concept of teaching children solfege. As an undergraduate, I had suffered in my solfege (laughs) process, and I'm watching these videos of these children going... I can't do what right. these third-grade kids are doing. Right? What is this method that taught them to do that? So I became really interested in the Kodai approach. And after I and while I was teaching, I was uh, doing what Katinka Danielle had explained to me. And then I gradually did my master's degree at Silver Lake College and graduating in that Kodai program in '78. But so I was totally immersed in the Kodai way of teaching music literacy. And then I ran into another Kodai person. It turns out that she was Kodai's right-hand person, hmm. uh, Katalin Forai, Kati Forai. And spending time with Kati and teaching with her in the summers, I realized some gaps in my background, even my Kodai background. Uh, for one, Kati Forai had been the person who wrote the three-year curriculum in Hungary um, for three- to five-year-olds. In Hungary, all the children go to school at age three. So they had this three-year program before they started Tan, Titi, and so in first grade, the reason why they could start So Me and Tan Titi in first grade is because the children came so right. well prepared. Because of what they did. They all sang in tune. Right. But that was not in my Kodai training. My Kodai training in level one started with Tan Titi, or the beat. We started with the beat, the heartbeat, right. beat, and then finding out how two sounds can happen on the beat. But no one talked to us about, well, how do you develop the sense of beat? Right. How do you... you and, and then the Be children sing So Me, and you go, well, what if they don't sing? Right, you know? what if they can't sing anything But, but see, that was just missing in my Kodai training because in Hungary... That's all part of the three-year program. Right. And Kati Forai was the queen of this. And here I am teaching with her, and I, the more I'm listening to her lectures, and I, we're sitting down drinking wine at night, what? the more I'm learning about this is a big area that I know nothing about. Sure. And so First Steps in Music happened from that. But because of that, it also affected then how I would even teach the later Kodai things. Along with those experiences of Kati Forai helping me understand readiness activities for literacy she was also asking me why i was teaching the sequence the way that i was right. um, she, why do you start with tantiti and or why do you start with so me and why that's are you using that's what signs they told and me to do <laughs> are, and I said, I, that's the Koday approach and then she you know she gradually opened my eyes to what she kept calling misunderstandings that mm. was a misunderstanding or that was meant for only hungarian children not for right. children in other countries and and on and on. I was getting this from her for years. I was getting five, six, seven, eight years, probably eight years by the end. Um, and all of those just caused me to keep rethinking. Well, then maybe if I should ad- t- adapt a little bit here and adapt and a little bit there and, and maybe I, our sequence should include six, eight sooner. And maybe I don't need right. to do the umbrellas, than the little umbrellas, and <laughs> maybe I should. And, and, and and it was really, I think the word for it is cognitive dissonance. Absolutely. I went through 10 years of cognitive dissonance. Mm. And I can remember very specifically when I got my first job at the University of Oklahoma, having a master's in Kodai and graduating from Temple University, where I had heard Ed Gordon speak about learning theory for three years, getting to Oklahoma going, now what do I do? Right. And, and the summers I would offer summer classes, I brought Ed Gordon down to teach a week, right. followed by Kati fori down for a week. Wow. And they would, students could learn <laughs> so from both jealous. of them. And my brain was just exploding with, I'm just so conflicted. (laughs) Right. So I think what I've done is, yes, and others have said, it looks like I've tried to do some kind of a blend of the two. Right. And, and to some extent, I guess that's true. I think the blend is probably 90% rated right. in Kodai, Kodai, and there might be a 10% influence sure, from sure. Ed Gordon because I was well on my way to music literacy and right, re- readiness right. and all that before even meeting music learning theory. But what I think I, I, I started tweaking was after Kati Forai telling me the, the two things that um, are needed adjustment for, to make conversational because happen. Because of the misunderstandings. Because of misunderstandings. The two things that needed adjustment was what to teach, right. in what order. The Hungarians had a what to teach based on char- rhythmic and melodic characteristics of Hungarian folk songs, right. and they went from simple to complex. Okay. That needed to be adjusted. What are the rhythmic and melodic characteristics of American folk songs, and how do we place those in order from simple to complex? That had never been done, and to my knowledge, still has not been done right. in any American Kodai curriculum. The second thing that needed to be adjusted was the wh- the how. So the what and the how. And the how was, in Kodai we learned preparation, presentation, and practice. And practice was done through three ways, through uh, uh, listening, reading, and writing. That's how I taught. I followed this Kodai uh, model, uh, which I understand is based in Pestalozzi. So it goes back to that. Um, but now I'm hearing from Ed Gordon some things, and I'm le- reading from Jane Healy some things, and Katy Foy is talking to me about things, and I'm going, sound before sight. Hmm. That's not happening in this model. Right. Because we have this preparation presentation, and presentation was, the idea was presenting, it was a discovery method. Let the children discover something is new. And they would discover it by sound, that's great, but then now let's let's explore it with our eye, with our ear, with Ah. our hand sign, with our, um, the idea was hitting it from every mode. And that logically makes sense. But then as I'm reading Jane Healy more, I'm learning obviously, that we don't do language that way. Language is developed by ear. Absolutely. And after we know thousands of words, we come to school, and one day someone says, oh, by the way, w- there's a way you can see language It's called the alphabet. And that's when we layer the eye on top of the ear. Right. So I went, well, that's what we need to do. We need to teach music by ear. Right. And so I'm giving a lecture in my Kodai program at heart. It had to have been around, oh, I don't know, 1990. Right. I'm giving a lecture, and I said, so what we need to do is like, like you know, when you're learning a language... Oh, let's take French. When you take a conversational French class, you're learning it by ear first, and then you learn how to read and write French. And so this is like conversational, oh, I don't know, solfege. It's conversational <laughs> solfege. And I just stopped. And it was dead silence in the room. And I said, I just named this curriculum. And they all applauded.
0: And by the way, if any of you out there listening were in that class... I would love to hear from you because I, I have happen. often thought because I've heard you talk about this. It would be so cool to think back. Hey, I was there when he. Well, named that's when it. the
1: name of it came up. I know, but, but prior still, to that, I was already. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, In yeah. my computer, if you look at my what I was doing in 1990, right. you see that there's a sound before sight component. Oh, to absolutely. It. But I'm I don't sure. have it quite worded the way right. that it's worded. But I just
0: think it's cool. Like if you were there when you were like. Ooh.
1: And frankly from nineteen, oh, I don't know, nineteen eighty-five to nineteen ninety-five, I think every single year I prepared a different way of saying it. Sure. A different handout to explain it. Right. Every year it it just kept changing. Yeah. And then somewhere around nineteen ninety-five, I I ninety-six comes and I didn't see anything I needed to change. Well, maybe next year. And there wasn't anything that needed Saturation. to change the next year. Yeah. And there had come to a point where I said I think I've got it. It's 12 <laughs> steps. I have a 12-step program, and it says exactly what I want to say. And I haven't changed it since. Okay. So it just it just evolved and refined itself, and there it was.
0: And what's one of my favorite things to say? It's a 12-step program for kids. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. See? So... Since What a beautiful segue into what I wanted to ask you, which is, first of all, let me ask you this question that many people either assume or they ask. Is conversational solfege a complete curriculum for the general music classroom?
1: It's a good question, and I would say adamantly no. Uh, And that's a philosophical decision, I guess, uh, depending on different situations and different ages, uh, because conversational is a 12-step program, is relevant for children that are ready to learn literacy, and that's usually after they've completed a first steps in music curriculum and shown a certain competency in singing and moving, they're ready for literacy. In a second grade class, it would definitely not be a complete curriculum. However... I also taught college freshmen using conversational stuff. And so they would sign on to my sight reading class and they'd be there for 50 minutes, three times a week. Then it was a complete curriculum because they were there for that. Because I know that they were getting in another class in college, something else. But in elementary school, the balance has to be correct. And to to think that you would spend all of your time working just on notation notation, uh, would not be a very clear example of what, music is. Um, And this is a topic, I guess, to go into deeper in another podcast. But uh, after I learned, after a lecture in Belgium, that the people in Belgium make a clear distinction in the word music of whether you can see it or whether you hear it. Um, And after they made me aware of this, it it was a life-changing day, uh, that they said, you cannot see music you can only hear music. Right. Music is an aural phenomena. You can Notation is not music. Right. You can make music from notation, but notation is not music. Right. Mind blown. <laughs> it just changed everything because all you have to do is stop at any moment in your teaching and going, am I a music teacher? Right. Or a notation instrument teacher. Right, right. And too many people are notation instrument teachers and not music teachers. That's how come we all arrive at college and can't take dictation. Right. We can't play by ear. We can't, can't sight improvise. Because <laughs> we were not taught music. Right. <laughs> we were taught effectively yeah. notation and instruments. Right.
0: And mine was like, for flute, I, I was a technician. Really good technician.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. With
0: some ear skills, <laughs> but very minimal.
1: So in a class, I want to be a music teacher. Sure. And that means part of my time can be taught on literacy, right. and of course my approach is a music approach, a sound right. approach, and where I layer notation on it. But the repertoire that you use for teaching, especially children in elementary school, the repertoire that's used to teach rhythmic and melodic understanding by nature needs to be simplified. That would be like saying... Um, we're learning to read in first grade, and here's your 10 words for the week, but we're only going to use those 10 words all day long. Right. And you can't all say the, anything but those 10 words. And all the
0: books you're going to read to only
1: have those 10 words in it. <laughs> Super and fun. No, because our listening and speaking language is light years beyond our reading language. Sure. Absolutely. So those songs and rhymes that are intended for literacy purposes are by nature in elementary school so simple. Right. And that would not be a good balance right. for it's not a good for an art that is an aural art. Exactly. An aural art needs to hear things that are easy, moderate and difficult. Right. So in an elementary school I usually say no more than half of the lesson should be spent on literacy. And even that half can be done in a musical should sound be. way than a non-musical way. And the other half, it should be the joy of music making. Uh, anyone who's heard me speak knows that I speak about elementary music as a teaching with a 30-year plan. Right. So while I'm teaching these classes in elementary school, I'm thinking about these children when they're 30. And when they're 30, when are they even going to run into notation? Right. Those people that are in band orchestra and choir, I always remind people that's less than 10%. The other 90% are not going on after elementary school to band orchestra and choir. They're never going to have anything right. after elementary school. What will they encounter when they're 30 years old? Where does, where does a normal person see notation? Maybe in church, right. less and less, yep. depending on the denomination, yes. uh-huh. maybe less and less. So you know, notation can't be why we're music teachers. It can be something we teach as an important thing that people should understand, especially the 10% that will go on to band, orchestra, and choir. But what would be important for 100%? That they could synchronize with other people and that they could sing to their children, that they could feel comfortable uh, dancing with other people, that they could... Um, be moved by music when they hear it, that they would desire to go to concerts because it's delicious to right. be moved by beautiful music. Right. Those are the things that we want them to carry on when they're 30 years old. So right. we can't spend the whole half hour on conversational solfege by nature. It's it's simplistic material. Right. What you need to do is to provide part of the lesson on that and the other part with rich experiences that will encourage people to pursue music in their lives for a lifetime, not through instruments and notation, just through synchronizing with other people in their voice and body. Mm.
0: All right. Well, I think that what I'd like you to do next, if you don't mind in thinking about these people who don't know anything about conversational soulfish, because that is a beautiful, you know, kind of overview and underpinning of why you created the 12 steps The next question often is, well, what are these 12 steps? And I just want to say one thing. I'm going to try to articulate it. You tell me if I'm accurate. And that is conversational solfege moves in units, right? That's the what. Unit one is what you teach and unit two is what you teach next. Sure. And so um, in a unit of conversational solfege, no matter if it's in level one, level two, level three, there is a musical idea.
1: A rhythmic or a melodic idea.
0: And you are going to take the student from step one to step 12. Is that accurate so far? From what I'd say to my students is like from readiness, which is a nice way I say of they don't know anything. (laughs) Right. You know, like, you know, they don't know what this tonal or rhythmic thing is to a full knowledge of it and being able to create with it by the end. Does that seem accurate to you?
1: Yes. Step um, 12 is composition. Right. And composition is being able to write down your original thoughts. And right. I think that is the ultimate musical achievement.
0: Absolutely. Being able to
1: create and accurately represent your musical creation in notation.
0: Right. And from 1 to 12, step 5, which we'll talk about later in depth, would you say it's kind of the pinnacle? It's kind of like...
1: It's the assessment to see if the sound understanding is complete. Yes. If the sound understanding is complete, and you can assess it at step five, you know that you're ready to bring in the eye.
0: Yes, and we're going to talk about that. But what, what I what I'm trying to say is, we're moving the student in each unit of conversational soulfish from readiness to kind of fullness yes. with that concept. Yes. Um, and, and you know, I
1: use the terminology scaffolding. Right. Because the 12 steps are like 12 stories of scaffolding. Right. And you want to build a, a strong enough structure that we can indeed get to 12. Right.
0: And that when we're there, it's firm.
1: And yes. And, Not and it's going to be around for a while. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. So if we get to step five, which is the ultimate, I understand this by ear.
0: Which by the way, can you just say what step five is really quickly?
1: It's called conversational soulfish create.
0: Yeah. So they're saying with their mouth. Singing They're or saying. They're yeah. improvising. Yeah, another name
1: for step five is improvisation. Okay, I just wanted to
0: say that because we didn't say it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Else. So at step five, when I'm doing the assessment of improvisation with whatever what I'm teaching, the rhythm what or the melody what, can you improvise with that what? Um, if the scaffolding at step five or story five is shaky and you know, the tower is swaying back and forth, <laughs> why would you put another story on right. top of it? Right. That they don't have the security yet to take on anymore, right? And especially in an oral art like music. Right, why right. would I show them what it looks like if they can't say it yet, mm-hmm. if they can't sing it yet, if they can't understand? If I'm speaking to you in French and you don't know what I said, why should I bother teaching you how to read something you don't understand? Right. it's just That gonna, doesn't make it's any gonna, sense like, at
0: all. Everything's going to come down on no. you.
1: So you do this. It's an important assessment at step five to make sure that you understand what you're hearing. Right. And then I can say, You've done it. Let's add another story to the scaffolding. Yeah,
0: and I always say to students, like, what's nice is when kids have gotten to step five and they've really mastered it and everything's firm underneath it, moving forward inevitably is like the easiest thing it's in the world. It's really
1: a paradigm shift for a lot of teachers. Yeah. I have heard so many times, well, I'm spending all this time just doing it by ear. I want to get to the notation. Mm, and don't you go, rush you, it. you have to understand if you bring the notation in early before the ear is finished, they will struggle with sight reading. They'll struggle with yeah. dictation. They'll struggle with composition. If you invest in this readiness up to step five and you make sure that step five is secure all the others just unfold so easily. And there's no accuracy and it's no struggle of, oh, I didn't get it, can I try again? It's like almost effortless. Dictation is effortless. Sight reading is effortless. Composition is effortless. Because everything you need to make it work happens up to step five. When you have, when you can speak French, it's easy to learn to read it. Right. If you don't speak French, what am I reading? What yeah. are the? How do I say <laughs> these words? Right. You know? Right. So the conversational sophage is based on the concept of understanding it by ear first. And in the 12 steps, if I were to divide the 12 steps by 100%, I would say 70% of the time belongs in steps two through five yep. or one through five, one through five, which is the ear steps. Right. So we work on the ear for 70% of the time because you only need right. 30% for the rest to unfold. While we would struggle with sight reading because we didn't have the, Ex- the 70% and that's preparation. why we And you with think, that. oh, we need so much time just to work on sight reading right. by eye. The whole point of why sight reading doesn't work is because the ear wasn't right. ready for right.
0: it. And there's something that happens and I've confirmed this with many other teachers, with my students, when we get to step six and above, which is starting with reading, so the first I things that are happening, when we're doing it right, inevitably, I have this group of children, the first time I lift up a flashcard, and the flashcard will have some notation that represents the things we've been working on. I hold it up and I always see the kids who are like, (gasps) I mean, i'm talking as i'm lift i'm not even saying anything yet like here's something we've been working on i lift up the cards and every time it's like my test it's my litmus test to know we have a we have achieved a strong foundation and they're like i know i know and i'm always like oh don't tell the secret yet don't tell the secret but they know what it is because it makes sense to them They get so excited. That's the thing we've been saying all this time.
1: Before um, this, my conversational sofa thing gelled in my head, teachers and students struggled, like I said, with sight reading and they didn't understand why. Once I figured out the 12 steps, It's so lovely that we don't have to struggle through the notation like I used to. Mm. Let's try it from this angle. Let's try it from that angle. Let's practice it some more. Because when you spend this time in the conversational steps, what's a joy is the effortless assimilation. Mm. And that they're they're enjoying Mm -hmm. learning this notation because it's effortless. It's not drudgery anymore. It's not drill anymore. It's a joy. It's an excitement of... I have that, Yeah, you get it quick. You get it so quick because your ears are so mm-hmm. well-prepared that learning the notation is a joy. Wow! Oh, and
0: I'm gonna tell just one more story because this is a powerful one and it's not long. I always talk about, and it's such a clear moment in my mind, I had fourth graders come in, I had a student, he was a challenge just behaviorally and he didn't have many friends just it was a kid who just had a hard time and he gave people a hard time so I will never forget in fourth grade the kids came in and I had written on the board very far away on my room is big on the other side was sailor sailor on the sea and something I'd written the notation no name over you know no words over it and it was for later in the class and I will never forget he was raising his hand we're doing some fun stuff you know just like some make them happy they're coming to music stuff and he keeps raising his hand dr strong Doctor and he's like that's sailor sailor over there and i'm like what and he said that that's sailor sailor now this is you know they had seen some notation at this point so, mm-hmm. so it's not like he just saw notation and could magically read it but he saw this and I hadn't said anything. I hadn't said, oh, that's something we're going to read later. It's something familiar. It's a, He looked over and based on what he knew in his ear, he had been looking at it. I kept seeing him and he's like, mm-hmm. he's like, that's sailor, sailor on the sea. And he was so, he was just so excited. It's the first time I ever saw him get so excited about something. And I had him go over to the board, read it for everybody. Point, and, and I said to them, do you think he's correct? Does this? And they were like, yeah, well, why don't you guys try to decode it since we're sitting here right now. Uh, let's see if he's right. And I'm teasing, me. you ruined my whole class. You just came in and you spoiled the class. And he's like, I spoiled music class, I read. And what it was just, and I think of that all the time that he just intuitively knew to look over there. And we had only been reading for a short while. And he just knew it, and I just— You know, I the phrase it.
1: for that is that he could hear with his eyes. Yes. He could hear with his eyes, yep. and that's— Conversational Selfish is about teaching children to hear with their eyes and see with their ears. Yeah. Um, you know, you're telling me his uh, personal uh, similar story to looking across and recognizing Sailor Sailor. I was down in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, um, giving a presentation at Bass Hall, um, and this fellow who was the, the administrator of the building, of the building okay. uh, who a musician also, his name was Paul Beard, said, would you like a tour? This building had just opened up. If you've ever been in Fort Worth, go I've never see, been there, but... go to this concert hall. You will. It will blow your mind. He modeled it after La Scala, and it <clears throat> is the most incredible concert hall with wow. amazing acoustics. So he said, oh. I'm going to give you a tour. So we're down in the basement where the bathrooms are, and he's telling me about how smart we were because we have 20 stalls in the women's bathroom and three in the men's, <laughs> and he's walking walking me through the bathroom, and I go into the women's bathroom, and there's a nice little black and white tile design all the way around the ladies' bathroom. And he just, just a side little comment as we're walking through goes, I bet you don't know what that is. And I went, oh, it's the New World Symphony. And he went, how do you know that? And I said, "Well, it's me, so so." It's me, right there. And he went, "I have to tell you how many symphony members I brought through here that could not answer that question."
0: No, don't even say that. And
1: isn't that shocking? Because people can become quite proficient with notation and instruments, notation and instruments, but lack music. Yep.
0: And that's what conversational. Soul it's to make sure you're does. teaching
1: music. Yeah.
0: And I, over time, in future. Podcast, we're going to really break down these kind of steps of conversational soulfish for people. Because until you get to a training, which we absolutely encourage you to do, especially in conversational soulfish, I think it's good to kind of hear these concepts over and over again. What are the 12 steps? Before we leave, would you mind talking about? The four groups, that's what I how I yes. think of them. And I think that would be a good place for this episode to kind of stop, give people an idea. Because I think when you think of the 12 steps, that can be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. better just to think it, they move in four groups.
1: Right. Um, and it seems odd, but I'm going to start with the second group. Sure. The second group is also called conversational mm-hmm. selfish, and to, to, to lend... Uh, importance to that group, I called the whole method that. I wanted people to realize this is a method called conversational solfege. And these steps two through five are also called conversational solfege because this is where the real work happens. So there's the second box. Let's back up. The first box, as you mentioned already, it's called readiness. And that is just that a child would learn a song or a rhyme that we will later be listening to. Or reading, or taking dictation from. Uh, you'll see as I go through the twelve steps that it, many times I have the children do something, uh, reading it or writing it, with something they know already, mm-hmm. before they do it with something they don't know. So before I'm doing sight reading, that would be looking at something you don't know. You should look at the notation for something that you do know. So I have these these the sequence of always doing something you know before something you don't know, and that's what step one is for. Step one is to teach you a song so they know something and then I know for sure that there's something familiar that we can listen for or read or take as dictation. So step one is to make some repertoire familiar. Teachers can decide whether that's one song or five songs. I usually recommend two. Right, two songs. Then the second box are steps two through five and that is there are four steps that lead from step two introducing what are the syllables. In step two we deal with rhythm syllables and solfege syllables Right, and we build from introducing them at step two practicing with familiar stuff at step three practicing them at unfamiliar stuff at step four and then improvising with them by ear at step five with the five being the important assessment step.
0: That we referenced earlier. To make sure they
1: really can do that if they can do step five you know they understand the sound and the labels fit together correctly. The third box is the reading box. In the reading box, we have three steps. Steps six, seven, and eight. Um, and that is very much the way children are taught to read in a first grade or a second grade. They have flashcards, 10 vocabulary words a week. The vocabulary words are shown to the class and you say, look, this card says refrigerator, the children chant refrigerator. Right. And then this one's spaghetti, and this one says spaghetti. So that's step six. Step six for me is this is what the rhythm looks like. This is what the soulfish looks like. And I sing it for them. Right. Let me sing this flashcard for you. Let sure. me sing or speak this flashcard for you. Step seven then, it would be the teacher in first grade with the refrigerator spaghetti flashcards holding them up and say, class, what is this? And now the students have been told enough times at step six, they can be asked what it is at step seven. So step six is I tell you what it is, step seven is I ask you what it is. Step seven, the point is, before I ask you to read something you've never seen before, let's read some words that you are familiar with. Wait, or do you mean step eight? Step seven is familiar.
0: No, I know, but then you I think you and said. And then
1: I would show them something unfamiliar at step eight.
0: Okay, sorry. So, uh,
1: and then in music, that would mean at step seven, I would show them maybe the songs that we learned at step one. Right. When I was trying to make those songs familiar. And then at step eight, I would show them something they'd never seen before. Hence, another name for step eight is sight reading. Mm -hmm. So the boxes uh, introduce at step six, practice with familiar material at step seven, and then see if you can read something you've never seen before. Sight read at step eight. The last box has four steps in it. That's called the writing steps. They go the fastest. Yep. Um, there's a lot of connection between the writing steps and the solfege steps. In the second box where I'm learning how to attach syllables, all that comes back into play in the writing steps. When I say, well, tell me by ear what this is. Bum, bum, bum. And they go, me, ray, do. And I go, good. You just told me what the sounds are. Now write them down. Write it down. So. Step nine, first of all, is just to teach them how to write notes. Where does me live on the staff? Where does Ray live on the staff? Let's just practice writing some notes. And And also
0: manuscript, you could talk, if you wanted to. We call
1: it, yes. In in, in language, we call it penmanship. And in music, we call it manuscript. So... Uh, in language, we might, let's all practice making an uppercase A. Let's make 10,000 uppercase A's. Right. We'll say, let's practice making a note head with a stem. Let's right. practice making two note heads with two stems and a line across the top called a beam. And, and then we attach the syllables to it. Step seven is, now you just told me that do. Or, or, step nine, I showed you where do lives. I showed you where Ray lives. You practiced writing some dos, some Ray's, and some Me's. Now, step 10 is just like back in conversational steps. What's right. this, mom? Bum, bum, bum. At, in the conversational box, they already were able to tell me that was me, Ray, Doe. Right. Well, what did you say first? Me. Well, what did I just say? Where does me live? Well, put a black dot there. Right. What'd you say next? Ray. Well, then put a black dot where that goes. And it's so fascinating to watch a, a class of second grade children doing this. Perfect. Hmm. No one gets it wrong. But in the past, if I went, bum, 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 write it, <laughs> who knows what they would have right. written? How would they know? But syllables are power. I've and if you that. can do the conversational steps of attaching syllables to the sounds, the syllables tell you what to write. Right. So this writing box, this fourth box, goes very fast mm-hmm. because of the good work you did in the syllables, the second box. Right. Your, if your syllables are in place, Writing's a no-brainer. Once you show them where Doe lives, Ray lives, and me lives, 100% of the children take perfect dictation. In a joyful manner, it's effortless, they love music. Rather than, this is so hard, I'm going to cry, I'm in dictation. (laughs) Which I felt as a freshman in college. Why can't I do that? (laughs) my piano teacher, Sister Cordula, never had me do that. Why was I supposed to know how to do that? But here my little second grade kids can take dictation better than I could as a college freshman. Mm. Syllables... The second box where you learn syllables before the third box where you learn notation before the last box where you take the syllables and transfer it into notation.
0: Right, right. The end. I love it, and I think of those four categories or four boxes, um, two, three, and four. You know, one is one is crucial, but one is just fun. Yeah, and I I'll say to students like, if I walked into your classroom while you were in the first box, it should just look like music class. You know, you should be singing and doing a game and learning a chant and or learning a rhyme. And two, three, and four, you're just digging in those two boxes, two, three,
1: and four. For the literacy part of your lesson. Of course. You're digging in as you are unfolding the concept of literacy with a sound before sight approach. Absolutely. And that's why I think
0: that's a pretty good program you made, Dr. Robin. Thank you.
1: <laughs> it was 45 years in development. Well,
0: I'm sure glad I didn't have to do that. <laughs> Thank you for your work. I look forward to really digging into this. If you're interested, you're listening, and you want to learn more besides getting the actual curriculum, that's another thing I love. It is not expensive at all, which is phenomenal. I would encourage you to look for a training with Dr. Fire Robin or one of the teacher trainers from Fame. Speaking of Fame, I hope you're a member. And if you're not, why aren't you? That's my banner cry. I hope that you will look into the things that we have, one of them, until you can get to an in-person training, which cannot be replaced. So definitely do that. There is a DVD Called, Set of DVDs. Yes, called Conversational Solfege Explained. Explained, which is really great. Also, we have a new book, Fire Robin Fundamentals. In that book, there are several chapters explaining conversational solfege, talking about different challenges that people have. Of course, that book also has a ton about first steps in music. So. Look into that book. Those things are available at GIA Publications. And don't
1: forget the Facebook page by the same name.
0: Yes, the Facebook page called Fire Up and Fundamentals.
1: Some people will have discovered this through that Facebook page, but it's possible they're hearing this without being aware of this incredible Facebook page. Yeah,
0: we have a really wonderful community. And I hope that you uh, have benefited from this and will continue listening Thank you, Dr. Fire Robin, again, for everything, for being here and for sharing and for putting up with my crazy questions, as always. You were wonderful. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. And we'll see you the next time. So that was a fantastic conversation with Dr. Farab, and I hope you got a lot out of it and that you'll tune into future episodes where we'll be talking about conversational solfege. We're going to end the episode with our Ask Me Anything segment where you can, of course, ask me anything within reason about Dr. Farab, about fame, about music teaching or about me and my classroom and my life as a music teacher Today, I wanted to talk about why I think you should join the FAME organization, which you can do at fireobinmusic.org. And do you remember how you spell fireobin? We've been practicing it. F-E-I-E-R-A-B-E-N-D. So fireobinmusic.org. Over time, I'm going to share different things, but one of the best things I love about membership is the availability of original Move It activities that are posted on the FAME site. These are activities that help students connect to the artful part of music that you may have heard Dr. Farabin speak of before, while at the same time teaching them about form in music, the original Move-Its that are up on the FAME website for members only are inspired by the amazing work that Dr. Farab and, and Peggy Lyman did some years ago on their two Move-It DVDs. If you don't have those, definitely run out and get them because they're fantastic resources. These original Move-It activities for members only have been created by the teacher trainers of the FAME organization and are a wonderful resource if you really like doing those with your kids. If you have questions you'd like me to answer in the future or ideas for future podcasts or a funny story about teaching or just general questions, please email the show at tunefulbeatfulartfulpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to find out more about Dr. Fireobin and his programs and resources, visit GIAMUSIC.com slash Fireobin. So that's G I A, the letters. GIAMUSIC.com slash Fireobin. And of course, please visit FireobinMusic.org to find out more about the FAME organization. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it was helpful and that you enjoyed yourself. I hope you were encouraged and inspired to do something new. Please tune in for our next episode, and until then, keep doing all you can to create a more tuneful, beatful, artful world.